This is the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm J.D. Layton. I'm Emily Maschak. Only on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. And welcome to the Rocky Mountain Review. I am one of two news directors here at 90.5 KCSU. I am J.D. Layton, and I am joined in studio by a full gaggle of people, including (laughs) my (laughs) co-host. I'm Emily, and then we also have our local news reporter, Mia Sawaya. That's me. And we have a special guest here today from Love Your Brain Yoga or not, the yoga is part of Love Your Brain, right? There we go. <laughs> Ramsey Pierce. Thanks for having me. Yeah, And that is our interview, which I believe we will just dive right on into. Yeah, so can you explain to us just a little bit about what Love Your Brain is, just for those who don't know? Absolutely. So the Love Your Brain Foundation um, was founded by brothers Kevin and Adam Pierce. So since we have likely a big Colorado contingent, um, Kevin Pierce was a Olympic hopeful training for the Olympics as a snowboarder in 2010. And he sustained a nearly fatal traumatic brain injury um, after an accident while he was training. And after his injury, HBO made a documentary called The Crash Reel um, about his injury and his healing journey. And what happened as this documentary came out is that it really brought to light how prevalent TBI, um, traumatic brain injury, is. In the U.S. alone, there are 2.8 million diagnosed TBIs each year, and that's not to account for the many people who experience concussion or TBI and don't report it. So the Love Your Brain Foundation was started by Kevin and his brother to raise awareness about the prevalence of TBI and create programs that help to build community and foster resilience for individuals who've been affected. Mm-hmm. What exactly constitutes as a TBI? So a TBI, traumatic brain injury, is um, a brain injury that is sustained by a, f- a blunt force to the head. Okay. And it can cause a lot of physical and both emotional and mental changes, right? Yeah, so as you can imagine, an injury to your brain, unlike injuries to other parts of the body, um, does have physical impacts in terms of people's ability to move and walk, but also really affects the kind of the core of who you are. Um, And so it in that way is a really, uh, it's an injury that affects the whole person, um, mind, body, and spirit. And so the healing journey after sustaining a TBI can be long and complicated and really isolating. So Love Your Brain was started by Kevin and Adam Pierce. Uh, after Cav- after Kevin got his TBI, can you sort of explain their story and the, the journey into developing TBI or uh, Love Your Brain? Yeah, no, absolutely. So so after Kevin sustained his injury, his brother Adam uh, had to leave his full-time job to be there as a support person and caregiver for Kevin during his journey. Um, and what they realized, again, so the film, The Crash Reel, uh, was really popular, um, and it made it very apparent to Kevin and his family how prevalent TBI is and how few resources there are out there for people who have been impacted. So their mission really was to help create 
raise awareness and create programs that would support the community. And so one of, there are three programmatic elements to the foundation. We have a retreat program for individuals who've experienced brain injury as well as caregivers. Um, we also have an educational curriculum that takes the crash reel, the film into schools to talk about the importance of brain injury prevention and brain health. And then the flagship program for Love Your Brain is our yoga program, where we train yoga teachers across the U.S. and Canada in how to adapt yoga and meditation practices, um, specifically for TBI. And then we partner with yoga studios all across the U.S. and Canada to offer a free yoga program that is available for anyone who's experienced a TBI, including concussion, uh, as well as caregivers to attend. So in Evan, Kevin and Adam's journey, it was really apparent how much an injury like this affects the whole family and the whole support system. So it was really important to them that the programming that they were creating was to support people who've sustained TBIs as well as the caregivers and the support people who are there alongside them. Mm -hmm. and, how did oh, sorry, I was gonna, how did Kevin turn to yoga when he was going through this or what made him seek that out? So the benefit of yoga is that it really addresses the whole person. And as we talked about earlier, a brain injury affects the whole person. And so yoga has the ability to not only help increase physical balance and strength and movement, um, but it can support, and there's research out there to show that yoga and meditation practices help to reduce stress and anxiety. They relieve, um, it can relieve symptoms of depression. Uh, it helps to enhance memory and learning which is something that often people struggle with after experiencing a brain injury. Um, so the impact and the ability of yoga to address the numerous and complicated challenges that people face after experiencing a brain injury was something that Kevin experienced personally and something that we have since um, understood to be a really um, incredible way to support people who are going through this experience. So how exactly is this program structured? Because I'm sure it's not like your typical vinyasa flow, anything like that, because um, there are sort of unique challenges that come with TBI. So, so what's necessarily different from this than, say, your average yoga class? Yeah, that's a great question. So as I shared, we as a foundation um, host teacher trainings where we train yoga teachers in how to adapt yoga um, to support this community. And so the classes that are offered, um, and we partner with studios all over the country, and the reason I'm excited to be here today is that one of our partner studios is in Fort Collins. It's called Live Beyond Limit. And so there are four teachers at Live Beyond Limit who came to our teacher training <clears throat> and learned how to adapt poses to move um, and to be supportive to some of the challenges that people experience. We, they adapt the class to help prevent dizziness, um, to help support learning and memory. So the classes are accessible, adaptable. We use a lot of props. The movements in the classes are slow and repeated. Um, and there's also a facilitated group discussion element in the class to really help enhance and build community among individuals who are participating in the program. Um, so it's made really accessible to people who have been through this experience. Mm -hmm. Do you have to be at a certain level of fitness to take one of the Love Your Brain yoga classes, or is it kind of open to all TBI levels? So uh, it is 
available to any type of, so there's different levels of severity within TBI, and, and the program is open to anyone who's experienced any level of severity of TBI. Um, and again, that includes concussion. Uh, and then there are criteria um, in terms of people have to be ambulatory, so not reliant on a wheelchair or cane to attend the class in the studio. But we also have um, a wide variety of free resources online, yoga videos and free meditations that people who aren't yet ready to go to the program at the studio can do at home on their own online. Um, and then eventually our hope is that they can make it into a studio for one of the programs. Um, and the way that the program works at the studio is that four times every year, Live Beyond Limit will offer a six-week program. Um, so the next program starts on October 27th, and it will run for six weeks. Each class is 90 minutes long, and it includes gentle yoga, um, guided meditation and breathing exercises, and then also the facilitated group discussion, which I mentioned. Um, and it's a completely free class that anyone who's experienced a TBI, as well as caregivers, can attend. Um, so again, the importance of supporting anyone who's been affected by TBI. Uh, and so this free six-week series happens four times every year in an ongoing capacity at Live Beyond Limit. Um, and then the other really great element of the program is that after someone completes the six-week series, which we call our fundamental series, they have access to gentle yoga classes at that studio for $5 a class. So okay. they can drop in and keep taking classes um, on an ongoing capacity. That's awesome. You mentioned also some of the other programs or retreats that you guys do. Can you tell us a little bit more about when those are and what they're like? Mm -hmm. So um, our retreat program, we have, for the last couple of years, held an annual retreat at a place called Zeno Mountain Farms in Vermont. Um, and this year we just hosted our second retreat uh, it, in Maine. Um, and it's a week-long retreat for, again, individuals who've experienced TBI as well as caregivers. And there's a focus on yoga and nutrition and community building and a lot of the core elements that um, are present throughout all of our programs. So it's really focused on, again, building community um, because after uh, TBI, there's a an experience of isolation that people really live through. So bringing people together to foster community and then build resilience, um, and yoga is a big part of that. So what are some of the results you've seen from yoga with Love Your Brain for in, in TBI individuals? So we gather, we do... Um, uh, in our eligibility form and a feedback form that we send out afterwards, we use valid and reliable um, TBI-specific scales to measure um, the impact of the program. And we have seen, through our research, significant improvements in quality of life after brain injury um, after participating in our program. So there have been... Um, in our and we're, we're really dedicated to contributing to the research that's out there because there is a small but growing body of research around how yoga and meditation support TBI specifically. There's a lot of research out there about yoga and meditation supporting everyone in general, um, but we're really committed to showing how it can be a really integral part of the healing process for someone after TBI. That's awesome. And you said um, the yoga videos that they can do at home are on your website? Yeah, so we have free yoga videos and meditations online that are available to anyone. Um, and that also serves as a really great resource after people participate in the yoga program um, to then be able to continue practicing. What is the website for people who might want to go? So the website is loveyourbrain.com. Oh, okay, awesome. Nice, yeah. and, nice and easy. Nice and easy. And for the classes that are in Fort Collins, 
when and where those are just again for any listeners who might yeah be interested. so um, again the classes that are here in Fort Collins are available to anyone who's experienced a TBI also caregivers and loved ones and if you are a caregiver or a support person you are welcome to attend the class on your own um, live beyond limit is on Congress Street in Fort Collins and the next six-week program which is free um, will start on October 27th and to sign up for the program you visit the website loveyourbrain.com um, and you'll find a Colorado icon state that you can click on to find Live Beyond Limit. We also do have a program in Denver um, if there are listeners who know people who are close to the Denver area. Um, and then the next series will start on October 27th and then we'll run consistently four times every year. So if you can't attend this program, you're always welcome to check out programs in the future. That's great. Awesome. Yeah. And if you have anything else you'd like to add before we close out the interview, you're more than welcome to. Yeah, I think the the main thing that I, I was excited to come on and share with listeners is, number one, to just talk about TBI because it is prevalent. And whether or not you realize it, every single person listening today knows someone who has been affected by TBI. Um, it's an isolating experience, and it's an invisible, it's an invisible injury. So um, unlike other things, a lot of times you don't know the challenges that people face. It's extremely prevalent. And so even if you yourself are not um, someone who might attend the program, talk about it, share about it, uh, because you might know someone and you likely do know someone who would really benefit from knowing about this incredible free program um, that's accessible right here in Fort Collins. And thank you so much for having me on. Oh, thanks thank you. you so much for being here. All right. And with that, I believe we'll be taking a quick break before we dive right back into news, starting with our local stories only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. I am one of two news directors here at 90.5 KCSU, J.D. Layden. I am joined in studio by a still full house. It's the collective news gaggle. It's like the Brady Bunch, except for we just talk about news. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) But, yeah, I'm Emily Moshak, the other news director. And then we also have our local... News, news director, reporter. news director, reporter. Yep. I'm Mia Sawaya. Mia Sawaya, and then our investigative reporter, Raven Color. Yes, and we are going to start off with local news today. So take us away, Mia. A man named David Lopez stabbed his brother and dog to death Monday afternoon in Longmont. Lopez is 29 years old and has been self-medicating his schizophrenia with marijuana, according to the Denver Post. The reason for the brothers' fight is unclear, but authorities have reason to believe it was about their dog. A witness, a witness of the stabbing told authorities that his own dog had been attacked by Lopez's dog a few weeks ago. When he went to the Lopez house to mention the attack, the brothers did not open the door but started screaming at each other about their own dog. The witness decided to leave them alone for the time being, but on the day of the stabbing, he approached the Lopez house to discuss the dog attack and saw blood on the porch. The witness did not hear any barking from the house, which prompted him to call animal control, and shortly after that phone call, the brother was stabbed to death. Neighbors tried to call the police, but after being transported to the hospital, the brother died and David Lopez was arrested. Lopez had his, for- his first court hearing this Wednesday in Boulder. A 21-year-old Fort Collins man, Gabriel Remshardi, was arrested on Sunday for firing a handgun in the air, reports Jacob Blackson of the Coloradan. Remshardi was attempting to disperse a crowd of people who he did not want at his party, on Knotwood Court when he fired shots into the air. Neighbors were quick to alert the authorities who arrested Remshardi at 1.47 a.m. 
there were no injuries from the shots fired. Rimshardi had multiple warrants out for his arrest and is expected to appear in court on October 9th for multiple charges. Rimshardi's previous charges include a minor in possession of alcohol and obstructing a peace officer. He failed to appear in court for both of these offenses. Um, there have been two recent landfill fires in Laramie County due to people putting batteries in their recycling bins, according to the Coloradoan. Batteries are highly flammable and are considered hazardous waste. The fires in the landfill fills resulted in two employees receiving treatment for smoke inhalation. Acceptable places to drop off batteries are the Laramie County Landfill or the Timberline Recycling Center in Fort Collins. The Timberline Center charges $5 per visit, so taking a large load is cost-effective. Referencing, uh, referencing the Timberline Recycling Center's website can clarify what materials should and should not be recycled in curbside recycling bins. In a district court ruling on Monday, the grizzly bear has returned protection under the Endangered Species Act after the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service removed it in 2017, allowing for a bear hunt in the Yellowstone area, reports Sadie Swanson of the Coloradoan. Chief Justice Judge Dana Christensen ruled that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service overstepped its power and acted impulsively by removing the protection on the 700 grizzly bears living in the area around Yellowstone National Park. The removal of the protections opened up the possibility for a 22-bear hunt in the Yellowstone greater area. Christensen said the USFWS did not uh, sufficiently consider how the hunt would affect the population of grizzly bears in the continental U.S. Uh, billboards were put in several locations in the West, including Fort Collins, with a grizzly bear saying, I'm not a trophy, before the ruling. The 2017 removal of protections, first applied to grizzlies in 1975, allowed the first sale of grizzly hunt licenses in the area in over 40 years. Wow, yeah, I... I think it's just wild, the fact that it's like Yellowstone. Let's go hunt grizzlies in there. It's like a national park, and, and I, I don't know. You don't do that in, like, Rocky Mountain National Park. It, the issue isn't necessarily that it's in the park, but that most of the bears live in the park and wander just outside of the park, and if they're outside of the park, you can legally shoot them, even though they're part of the Yellowstone population. Uh, I see. Yeah. Gotcha. S strange little legal litigation. But on that note, I think we will take a quick break before we are joined by our music director to talk about the Laramie Project. The Laramie Project, yes. The play that we are having at our very own University Center for the Arts coming up in the end of September. So stay tuned for that. You're listening to your news talk show, The Rocky Mountain Review. It's 90.5 KCSU, Fort Collins. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. I am J.D. Layton, one of two news directors here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I am joined in studio by my co-host, Emily Moshak, as well as our field reporter, Raven Culler, and our local news reporter, Mia Swaya, as well as our music director, Monty Daniels, who also wears another hat and works in the theater department and has a bit of an inside scoop on the Laramie Project. Yeah. Do you want me to go into that now? Let's yes. do it. Let's All tell right. us about it. All right. So, on October 6th, 1998, a gay student from the University of Wyoming was brutally beaten, tied to a fence, his shoes taken, then left there overnight to freeze to death. 
The student was Matthew Shepard, and this year marks the 20th anniversary of his passing. The perpetrators, Aaron McKinney and Russell Henderson, both residents of Laramie, were in the same bar as Shepard on the night of the incident. They offered Shepard a ride home, then took him to a large buck-style fence in a rural part of Laramie and beat him repeatedly, then tightly bound him to the fence. University of Wyoming student Aaron Kreifels was biking around the area the next morning. At first, he thought he saw something that resembled a scarecrow, only to find out it was Matthew Shepard. Reggie Flutie from the Laramie County Police Department was called to the scene, and they immediately took him to the Pruder Valley Hospital here in Fort Collins, Colorado, where he later on passed away. Now, 20 years later, CSU's theater department is putting on the show The Laramie Project. It was written by Moise S. Kaufman and other members of the Tectonic Theater Project out of New York City during and after the event. They conducted over 200 interviews over their six trips to Laramie. After condensing these interviews down, they have transformed them into a play that runs approximately an hour and a half with two small intermissions. The show first, first premiered at the Ricketson Theater at the Denver Center for Performing Arts and is now known as one of the most produced plays in all college theaters around the country. Due to the show's depiction of American minister and civil rights attorney Fred Phelps shown protesting Matthew's funeral as he did in real life, Many members of the Westboro Baptist Church have protested against the show. In CSU's production, the 10 actors play upwards of 60 characters, all led by guest director Charlie Oates. The show opens this Friday, September 28th, at the University Center for the Arts and runs until October 7th with matinees on Sundays. That's awesome. Thank you, Monty. And yeah, I had a, um, the opportunity to see one of the rehearsals when I was over there, and it really looks like it's going to be an awesome show so definitely something to keep in mind yeah and 20th anniversary i think it's a good opportunity to sort of commemorate and and sort of showcase necessarily how far we've come and but also how far we still have to come with things like that um so it's good it's good to see stuff coming together yeah it is important so that's on this friday it opens monty yeah it opens tomorrow Oh, yeah, oh, my gosh, tomorrow. Yeah. Tomorrow's Friday. <laughs> yeah, oh, tomorrow's Friday. Yes. So opening Yay. night is tomorrow night. So exciting stuff. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on and telling us about the show. If you would like, keep in mind, UCA is having the show tomorrow, Friday, the 28th. So definitely something to check out. And we will be taking a quick break before we dive into our national news, only here on a 90.5 KCSU for Collins. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. I am one of two news directors here at 90.5 KCSU, J.D. Layton. I am joined in studio by the other news director, Emily Moshak, as well as our field reporter, Raven Culler, and our local news reporter, Mia Sawaya. It's a full house. It's the Brady Bunch of News. And here we are about to deliver some national news with a very timely update on the Brett Kavanaugh case. Yes, and the hearing is still going on mm -hmm. right now. Um, but as of about half an hour ago, here's the update that we have. The Senate Judiciary Committee hearing surrounding judge and Supreme Court hopeful Brett Kavanaugh and his accuser, Dr. Christine Ford, is currently underway. Ford spoke first, detailing her alleged sexual assault by Kavanaugh. CBS News reports that she appeared to be fighting back tears while she claimed that she was 100% certain Kavanaugh assaulted her and felt that it was her civic duty to speak up. Ford alleges that Kavanaugh forced himself on top of her and covered her mouth to prevent her from screaming at a high school party in the 1980s. 
Kavanaugh later began his testimony, denying all accusations, calling them a calculated and orchestrated political hit. He also got emotional, choking back tears as he spoke about his daughters. He also referred back to a calendar his father had kept dating all the way back to 1978, which he says proves he was not at a party at the time Ford says he was. Addressing his drinking habits, Kavanaugh says he liked to enjoy a few beers, but would never drink to the point of blacking out, and again reiterated that he never sexually assaulted anyone. The hearing is still ongoing currently. Aside from Ford, Kavanaugh has also been accused of sexual assault and harassment by Deborah Ramirez and Julie Swetnick. He has also denied these allegations, calling them a smear campaign. China denied on Thursday attempting to interfere with United States elections by sponsoring a supplement in an Iowa newspaper, reports Jane Perlez of the New York Times. Trump accused China of interfering with the U.S. election during a talk with the U.N. Nation, or the UN Security Council uh, and followed up with a tweet later that day calling it propaganda against his administration. The supplement was published in the Des Moines Register, talking about alleged economic impacts of tariffs against China. Farmers in Iowa are particularly affected by international trade trends. The supplement was paid for by China Daily, which aligns closely with the Communist Party's rhetoric. It was designed to look like a news clip, but was listed as China Watch, uh, section sponsored by China Daily. The Chinese foreign ministry argued that many countries pay for supplements which portray their government in a good light. The supplement claimed that the U.S. and China's economies are interconnected and shouldn't be separated. It also said that the United States is seeing more economic danger from automation than China or Mexico. Left-leaning groups in China criticized the supplement for opening the Chinese government up to criticism. Yesterday, it was announced that comedian Bill Cosby will spend three to ten years in federal prison on sexual assault charges, reports the Chicago Tribune. The charges come from a 2004 incident, which is one of many accusations from women against Cosby, in which he drugged and molested a woman. He spent his first night in a single cell near the infirmary and will serve his time in Arizona at SCI Phoenix, a new state prison. The prison's eventual goal is to place Cosby, now 81 years old, with general population after medical staff and psychologists assess his needs. He will be eligible for parole after the first three years of his sentence. At the time of his sentencing, the presiding judge called Cosby a sexually violent predator, which invokes the need for monthly counseling for the remainder of his life, as well as alerting any future neighbors. Cosby's legal team is now preparing a bid to get his sexual assault conviction overturned, reports CBS News. Legal experts are saying that Cosby's appeal is a long shot. Cosby, now known as inmate number NN7687 at SCI Phoenix, was once hailed as America's dad for his lovable role as Dr. Cliff Huxtable in The Cosby Show. Many of, the, many of us growing up in America were familiar with Huxtable family and its many members, their shenanigans, and Cliff's, played by Cosby, wise words and voice of reason. The FBI of Charlotte, North Carolina, found what they believe is the body of a six-year-old Maddox, Maddox Rich earlier today, reports CNN. The body was found off of a highway and is awaiting official, official identification by a medical examiner. Maddox went missing six days ago after running away from his dad at a North Carolina park. He had autism and was nonverbal. 
Maddox was playing in the park with his father, Ian Rich, and another friend when a passing jogger spooked him, causing him to break into a sprint. Ian said that Maddox would often run, but usually stopped to give him time to catch up. This time, however, he continued running out of Ian's view. Ian and other park rangers began searching for him for about an hour before the police were called. Authorities searched for Maddox by land, sky, and water, even partially draining the lake near the park where he went missing. Maddox's mother, Carrie Rich, tearfully told reporters that he was her whole world and reason for living. However, park employee Rick Fox told Fox News that Ian Rich did not appear to be very concerned when Maddox ran off, stating that he could not even recall seeing Maddox go in or out of the park that day. With the discovery of the body, the investigation is still ongoing. That is just a, a, a collective series of sad stories. It's, you know, Cosby going to jail after those sexual allegations. There's Kavanaugh with his sexual allegations. Uh, this this boy is found dead. <sighs> I know. It is a rough, rough day for news, for sure, especially... Although I guess Bill Cosby's, or I guess they're not really allegations anymore. Yeah, they it, they're convictions, confirmed. Yeah, confirmed convictions. Um, but at, at at least that's sort of coming to an end, and there's sort of justice being served in that case. So I, I guess that's more hopeful than not. But still, it's it's sad that it had to even come to that in the first place. Yes. <sighs> sad, sad stuff. But. We have a special report from our field reporter, Raven Culler, uh, on, with an interview with Bill Frelick, the Human Rights Watch CEO. He is the director, director of Refugee Programs for Human Rights Watch. There we go. Can you tell us before we dive in a little bit about what Human Rights Watch is? Sure. So um, basically, Human Rights Watch is an organization that monitors and documents human rights violations. Um, He talks about it a little bit in the interview here. Uh, I spoke with him for about 20 minutes uh, the other day, and we will be putting up the full interview. This is going to be the first couple of questions where he's kind of going to describe what Human Rights Watch is, how it works, how they go about doing um, what they do. That's awesome. All right, let's give it a listen. Bill Freilich, the director of the Refugee Rights Program at the Human Rights Watch, spoke at CSU on Wednesday night. I got the chance to speak with him about what Human Rights Watch is, how it works, and his professional perspective on some current political trends and events. My name is Bill Freilich, and I'm the director of the Refugee Rights Program at Human Rights Watch. What is Human Rights Watch? Uh, Human Rights Watch is a global human rights organization, uh, non-governmental, that defends the rights of victims of war, refugees, other people whose rights have been violated, and we do it all over the entire world. We don't take money from any governments at all. We're completely independent and objective in our fact-finding, and our advocacy is based on the basic human rights conventions. Specifically, who is encompassed under you? Uh, well, anyone whose rights are violated. We're organized both regionally and thematically. The history of the organization started as something called Helsinki Watch, which was focused on Europe, but then quickly we developed America's Watch, and from there, Africa Watch, Asia Watch, Middle East, and so on, covering the world in that regard. But then the organization also determined that it made sense to focus thematically, and so we have a, a women's rights division, a children's rights division, and then specialized divisions like 
like LGBT. We have a disabilities rights division is one of our newer ones. The one that I run is the, the refugee rights program. We have business and human rights, health and human rights, a new program environment and human rights. But we're looking at the intersection of human rights in, in basically all walks of life. So looking both at uh, violations of civil and political rights, but also economic, social, and cultural rights. What exactly does your agency do? We're basically fact finders. We investigate human rights violations and we do what's called naming and shaming, which is basically finding out who is responsible for those violations and trying to hold them to account for the violations that they are responsible for. My own work is focused on refugees and refugee rights, which grows out of the, 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 there's a specific convention on refugees. So a lot of that work is procedurally looking at the rights of asylum seekers, that they have access to asylum and to fair procedures and to a fair hearing on their claim to be refugees and that refugees are not returned to places where they would be persecuted. How exactly does the organization define human rights? Where does that come from? There are two basic treaties or covenants which are the foundation for the human rights world. I should say there's first a universal declaration of human rights, which by its name indicates it's a declaration. It's, it's not a binding treaty. And then there are two treaties that governments have actually acceded to, ratified, and basically said that we will incorporate these into our laws and this will become the fundamental rights regime for the entire world. And those are the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights and the International Covenant on Economic, Social, and Cultural Rights. They're somewhat different. And then there are specialized conventions, the Convention Relating to the Status of Refugees, which I mentioned earlier, Convention Against Torture, Convention on the Rights of the Child, you know, a number of other ones as well. How do you monitor and investigate human rights violations? It's a key part of what we do. We are constantly monitoring the conduct of uh, both private actors and governments to see how they're conducting themselves and that they're acting properly. And if we have indications that there may be human rights violations, we make every effort to get as close as we can to those violations to interview the victims and, in some cases, the perpetrators and find out exactly what's happened. So it's a fact-finding exercise. It's oftentimes very difficult but it's also essential to find out what's actually going on and to be able to do objective research as fact-finding to find out you know, what is happening in uh, one country or another. And that's the first step. And once we determine that there are violations happening and that we have satisfactorily documented that those violations are occurring, uh, then we move into our advocacy work. And the advocacy is basically to try to change the behavior of Uh, the perpetrators of these abuses. How would you do that? Well, I mentioned naming and shaming is is, um, something that was the traditional approach. Unfortunately, naming and shaming doesn't seem to be working as well these days. Some perpetrators seem to be very proud that they are openly violating human rights and almost take it as a badge of honor that groups like uh, Human Rights Watch or Amnesty International would criticize them. And so we have to figure out you know, other ways of trying to change behaviors. But it's extremely challenging these days. Part of it is building legal cases. There is an international criminal court now and bringing perpetrators of serious crimes crimes against humanity to justice is something that is possible in ways that it hadn't been in the past. But we also use the media, we use 
other means of trying to document the abuses to make sure that everyone is aware of the abuses so that perpetrators can't operate in darkness, even if they are not open to changing their behavior. We hope that eventually that will happen. This has been Raven Color reporting for the Rocky Mountain Review, only on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. And that was a special report by Raven Culler, our uh, our field reporter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's you know there's this whole gaggle of, of of reporters and news people in here. And with that, we're gonna dive into our roundtable. I'm JD Layton, one of the two news directors here at ninety point five. I'm joined in studio by Emily Moshak, Raven Culler. I've already mentioned, as well as Mia Sawaya. We're going to talk about Brett Kavanaugh because it's it's sort of one of those timely topics. Does anybody have any opening comments that they'd like to state? I guess I will have to say that it's definitely something to watch. I've been watching the hearing a little bit throughout the day when I could. And I still, I don't know, it's really hard. But I have to admit, when I first heard that there were allegations against Brett Kavanaugh, I didn't really think much of it at first, especially... And not to discount legitimate allegations, but with Me Too and that whole movement, I feel like there's been a lot of kind of false or misinterpreted allegations. And so when I first heard some woman said he did that back in the 80s in high school, I was like, this is kind of BS. Like, I feel like it is politically motivated. And I will admit that was my first thoughts when I first heard something like that was going down, especially in this day and age where, you know, like that woman accused Aziz Ansari of that when they were on a date and even she admitted that she just didn't want to but she never said no and it, there's just so many not that even that's right I don't want to ever say that that's right but I feel like there are a lot of there's a difference between actual rape and then being made uncomfortable yeah and it like also is really hard to like distinguish what is sexual assault and like how you should deal with it if it happened in the past because you're like should I believe that they changed as a person or I don't really know like how that works and all that stuff. So that's kind of the case with this Kavanaugh situation for me. I'm just like, I don't know if he's changed as a person or like what defines sexual assault and all that. So it's just kind of confusing, but still relevant enough that we need to talk about it. Oh yeah. Something that they brought up a couple of times is if something from someone's past should prevent that person from being able to do stuff in their future. But I think that the, big difference with what he's being accused of is that it's not like it was just like an oopsie like a mistake that some high school kid did like if this is a true accusation um you know what he did was highly intentional and aggressive and even if he was blackout drunk um it really communicates um you know kind of what he he's like as an inner person and you know i think for a lot of things you might be able to say okay but that was a long time ago but this is an elected position for which he will have for the rest of his life um that's going to affect not only voters now but you know us as we grow older our children and the decisions being made by a court with both brett kavanaugh and clarence thomas on it will affect the United States for an uncalculable amount of time. Yeah, I agree. And even kind of, as I said before, how I kind of 
doubted the allegation. I still don't know how I feel about it, but watching the hearing, I feel it's definitely a lot more credible than I once thought and that it wasn't just someone saying something randomly. Like, So I think it's definitely something to consider, especially with such a high position at stake. It really is. I don't know. I guess the hearing is the best way to go about it. I thought the way that Lindsey Graham reacted to the hearing today was probably not a great idea for him as the Republican Party is going into a midterm where they're very vulnerable. He um, was very angry. Yeah. Um, And I thought that that was an interesting way to react when... The thing that I think the Republicans need to be communicating and are trying to communicate by allowing this um, hearing and bringing in this lawyer to question her who is trained to do this, known to do, um, you know, sexual assault issues. Um, You know, the message that they were trying to send was, we're going to take this seriously. We're going to treat her with respect. And I thought that... um, Senator Graham coming out and then being very angry uh, and accusatory was very anti what the rest of this proceeding surrounding the Republican Party seemed to be. Yeah, that's that's definitely one of the things that I've sort of noticed in this more than anything else is just necessarily the way that it's it's sort of being conducted is you have on on one hand, everybody's very serious about taking it and sort of being legitimate in the way that it goes about. But the attitudes of uh, the the Republican Party in in general, uh, you know, the president is a, is a perfect example of this. Is just sort of that massive amount of dismissal that they have, despite the fact that they're open to this type of thing. They sort of uh, they, they like almost want it to be like, look, it's not a big deal. We're gonna do this, but you're not gonna find anything. It's not important, and it's a big waste of time. Let's not even sort of go about this. And, and I, I just sort of feel like that's a, a very, very detrimental approach, especially, as you said, in a vulnerable position. I mean, there's uh, what the president's approval ratings are, the lowest as of late as they've been in his entire presidency. Uh, it's midterm season. You know, there's a strong possibility that there might be upheaval within the House of Representatives, maybe even the Senate. So, yeah, there yeah. were some, I guess, Republicans, though, who were open or like Senator Cory Gardner was very open about the hearing. Oh, yeah. For sure. I think, you know, right after Me Too, both parties kind of, they're having to develop their stance on something that really wasn't politically talked about up until this moment in time. And the Democratic Party came out really hard. I don't want to generalize all Democrats are like this, but their um, rhetoric came out really hard. Um, We believe survivors. We think that this issue should be dealt with swiftly. Um, and, you know, with Schumer leaving the Senate, they really communicated that really strongly. And I think that the Republican Party is still trying to develop what their, you know, stance on this is. And I think they've been really resistant to taking on the president's stance on sexual assault and sexual abuse um, because his stance is very controversial and really does strongly alienate a very large part of the population. Um, so I think that they've been really trying to find what their stance on this issue is going to be. And I think that this hearing is a big turning point um, with how they're going to deal with it and how the American people are going to see um, 
how the Republican Party handles women making accusations about being abused um, by people in power. Yeah, it will be definitely. And if you guys have something you want to say, because we know it is a big issue, we'd love to hear uh, your comments and feedback on it. You can always call or text in at 970-491-5278. Once again, that number is 970-491-5278. We'll be taking a quick break, but we'll be back with our sports update with our sports reporter, Tila Lopez. Only here on 90.5 KCSU, Fort Collins. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. I am J.D. Layton, one of two news directors here at 90.5 KCSU. I am joined in studio by my co-host, Emily Moshak, as well as our field reporter, Raven Color, as well as our local news reporter who's not on a mic right now, Mia Sawaya, and our sports reporter, Tilo. Jump the gun on that. How's it going, everybody? And with that... We are going to dive right into our sports update. What's new in the world of CSU sports? All right. So this week, the Rams are on their bye week. So they got some time off. Um, see if they can fix some issues they've been having. They face San Jose State in San Jose on October 6th. So they look to turn it around. Right now, they're currently sitting at the bottom of the Mountain West. So that's not where we want to be. So we'll see if we can come out on top. The Spartans are currently... Uh, 0-3 oh, on the season, but they have a game before the Rams. So we'll see how that goes for them. In volleyball news, the Lady Rams are coming off win against San Jose State and Nevada. Um, they lost that first set against Nevada, but they won the rest. And then with San Jose, they went to sweep them 3-0. Um, they're currently at the top of the division in Mountain West, uh, so that's good for them. And... So they look to continue the success against San Diego State tonight at 7 in San Diego. SDSU is 1-13 on the season, so they're not having their best season. With soccer news, the soccer team is now 3-4-3 three, three on the season. They recently tied with SDSU 0-0 and lost to New Mexico 3-0. So they look to turn it around as well, not having the best season either. And in pro sports, the Rockies took the lead back in the NL West. Um, they, if they win out, the playoffs are guaranteed for them, so they control their own destiny. Um, today they won 5-3 against the Phillies, so things are looking good for the Rockies. Yay! Yeah. Nice. Well, I'm glad we finally have a bye week. I, I certainly hope, as you said, we can sort of figure out anything in, in football uh, because there's a whole lot to sort out there. Lady Rams in volleyball, though, are killing it, as always. Uh, always warms my heart to sort of see that. Yeah, the volleyball team's actually 10-4. They're, they're doing real well. Um, so we'll see. I was, I was definitely worried ranked. Who knows? going into this year because we lost a lot of strong seniors going into the, into the season. But lo and behold, they're definitely sort of demonstrating the capacity to bounce back even almost as good, if not better, than without them. Go Rams. A good season. Go Rams. Go Rams. All right. And we have a very special music segment by our own promotions director, Nolan, whose last name is escaping me at this point. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> but that is on Mom Jeans, everybody's favorite type of clothing. And they're also a nice local band. 
only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. This is the Rocky Mountain Review music section, written by AJ Frankson. I'm Nolan Brumbach. The Mom Jeans concert was so much fun last night. It was great how many different kinds of bands were playing and how many different kinds of music genres there were. I was not expecting there to be so much variety. The first band was local band Bitter Sons, who are a surf punk rock band. They play their normal surfy set that pump up the crowd in preparation for the show. The other three bands were all on tour together and the chemistry was obvious. Shortly, the second band that played brought a slow indie rock type vibe to Hody's. The band afterward described their sound as power music, which I definitely agree with. They began their set with a super slow starting song, which took the crowd by surprise when the rest of the band joined in with a rock and power chord and strong drums. The singer, whose name is Alex, mentioned that she just received news of her friend's death the day before the show, which was really sad, but they still gave an outstanding performance and the crowd was really respectful towards the music and the band. The third band, which was Just Friends, was pretty insane. They came out with extremely high energy and so many different types of instruments. There must have been at least 10 people in that band. All their songs were very hype and upbeat. It was obvious that the crowd was into it because a giant mosh pit started in the middle of the venue. Everyone was shouting the words and just having a great time. When Mom Jeans finally came on, it was only about 9 o'clock since the show was on a Wednesday night, so everyone still had a bunch of energy. They performed some of their classic songs like Edward Forty Hands and Death Cup. It was absolutely wild. So many people in the crowd kept crowd surfing and jumping all over and just all around having a good time. The energy stayed the same for their entire hour-long set, which was pretty crazy. A few of the members of the other bands came out and been forward with them, which was also pretty insane. There was so much love and respect in the theater, it was just really cool to witness. That was the Rocky Mountain Review Music Section, written by AJ Frankson, read by Nolan Brumbach. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. That was our music section, and it is unfortunately the saddest time of every Thursday at the end of our show, but it was also the highlight of the show, the type of thing that everybody waits on the edge of their seat for, and they just can't wait to hear from us. I'm going to don my meteorological hat, and it's time for the weather. <laughs> so you already know what today was like. It was a lovely 70 degrees, you know, sort of warm. You're, you're feeling it. It's 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 getting cooler you wake up in the morning it's a little chilly you have to take your sweatshirt off halfway through the day but tomorrow you're not gonna have to take that sweatshirt off Uh uh-uh it's gonna be nice and cold and cool and cloudy with a high of 54 and a low of 40 but this weekend definitely gonna need to take that sweater off 84 degrees on saturday nice and toasty and sunday will definitely experience a little drop in temperature partially cloudy with a high of 73 monday will follow a similar suit with a high of 77 partially cloudy and tuesday will be a nice 80 degrees with a low of uh, 52 degrees as well but for wednesday's weather you're definitely gonna have to wait for the next recommend review Ooh, i wish all of our listeners could see jd right now because his hand motions and enthusiasm are just off the charts right now. <laughs> I think maybe the weather might be my favorite part of the show. I think it definitely is. I I, I agree. I, get I ex- love the weather. I don't know why it's just so thrilling, but something about saying degrees in temperature and clown patterns on air makes me feel like a very sophisticated human being. 
It's like being a scientist, but you don't have to take any uh, science courses. Exactly. It's I get to definitely live out my mad science fantasies. Yeah. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad. I'm glad you get to do that, <laughs> And that is our weather today, and we just want to thank all of our reporters, including Raven Kohler and Mia Sawaya, as well as our sports reporter, Tilo Lopez, our music director, Monty Daniel, for talking about the Laramie Project, Nolan Brumbach for talking doing his music segment on Mom Jeans. <laughs> and, of course, we also want to thank Ramsey Pierce from Love Your Brain for telling us about the upcoming yoga program in October for people who have suffered from traumatic brain injuries. And you know who else we want to thank? We want to thank you, Emily, for oh. helping host the Rocky Mountain Review. And thank you, J.D. And that is our show. you got to keep that dial locked for a long break. So we'll be back on Tuesday, same time, 4 to 5, only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins.